G'day and welcome to another episode of the Luke's Lowdown podcast. Today, I have a professional triathlete with me, the one and only Laura Siddle. So she is a globe trotter. The only way to describe it is that <laughs> she's won races across various distances from sprints to full distance all over the world. However, what I love about Laura's journey into the world of professional triathlon is with a successful engineering career in full swing and at 33 years of age, if I've done my maths correctly, she went all in and backed herself to chase a dream and leave her very safe, cushy corporate life behind to simply swim, bike and run. And I'm super excited to learn what makes Laura tick. So get ready team. Laura Siddle is on the mic. How are you? I'm very well. Do you know, I, it's so funny when I, we've obviously spoken through social media, but then, and I knew you were from Australia, but hearing your voice now is really like nostalgic from, it's like, wow, I'm in the UK, but it's like an Aussie voice on the end of the, on the line. It's really cool. I'm very well. Thank you. So I have just arrived back in the UK for Christmas. Um, it's typically, as we were just saying, um, gray wet looking fairly miserable outside which i've not yet ventured out to do anything yet but uh yeah it's all good thank you nice, thank, nice, yeah, nice. thanks for having thanks for inviting me on thanks for having me on the podcast absolutely my pleasure so i always take some time to think about the first question i'm going to ask my guests and it's not that i try and stump them but i always like to come from a completely different angle <laughs> to what course. most people are going to say like oh so tell me where it all started i you know we'll we'll, we'll get there but i've obviously as you, as you mentioned we've chatted online and we follow one another and all the rest of it and doing my research to have this chat there's a theme that runs through a lot of your messaging that you put out there and your motto for lack of a better word and it's don't die wondering. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. 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 Where did you learn this? As it, so I'll tell you the story around the motto. Um, mm -hmm. It was when I was living in Sydney and I was doing triathlon as an age grouper. So I just got into the sport um, and I was with a fantastic group based over there called Bondi Fit. And it was a real, a real amazing community. So just such a great way to, and I think that was probably one of the things that kind of sucked me into to starting triathlon. And I was heading off to the 70.3 world championship. So I'd got my slot as an age grouper and I was heading off to the worlds, um, which were in Vegas. This was in 2013 and a good friend, uh, Mark Preston or Presto, as we knew him, he was a, I don't think he'll, he'll mind me saying he's an older guy, but he still would kick all of our butts on the bike, just a machine um he did once break his hip by crashing into a turtle in centennial park which we all very much take the piss out of him for because we think it's hilarious and then i did actually see a turtle crossing the road in centennial park one day in sydney so i was like i'll take that back anyway i was heading off to 70.3 worlds and presser just said to me he just sent me a message saying don't die wondering and that stuck with me and then i went on to I, I was fortunate I won when my age group and was overall female amateur at 70.3 worlds and the week later I traveled straight to London and it was the at, at the time what was called ITU world championships and that was age group racing again and it, and I did the Olympic distance there um, and I defended my title or whatever from the previous year but won there 
And it was that kind of period at that point where I was verging on turning professional. Um, you know, I'd come, I'd come from, yeah, playing sport as a kid and growing up, but very much sport was the hobby that you did and it made your CV look good and it made your CV look rounded when you applied for your corporate job. And that's, I guess, the path I'd followed. Um, but having been in Australia and I'd been doing triathlon for about four years as an amateur at this point, um, and I was kind of on that tipping point of should I, should I commit to this or not? And so just that little message from Mark like before I went and so the don't die wondering and so I took that and took that into those races and yeah and I've just kind of it was then off the back of that that I kind of went down the path of making the steps to go full-time in professional and so yeah try and try to live by that um that motto all the time it's quite funny because I'm also quite risk averse so the whole don't die wondering and being then quite sort of I, I, I my engineering background means in some ways I can be quite calculated and risk averse but anyway so yes that's the that's the story around the motto and how that came about so that's the story what does it mean to you though deep down yeah I think it is about having the guts to take that leap so um and to not look back so the thing when I went decided to turn professional in triathlon and yeah leave the corporate job and I'd got to kind of national level in netball and athletics as kind of a junior or junior and senior but I'd again I'd never fully kind of given it that commitment to to go for it um for various reasons one being it was still seen as sort of the hobby and you've got the career and and a few other things but um I think then when I got to triathlon and I was at this tipping point I kind of sort of went look you didn't give yourself those chances you, you love sport sport is what you've you've always been passionate about you just get such a buzz from it you didn't give yourself that opportunity when you were younger you're not getting any younger um sport won't be around forever the corporate's life can potentially be there for a lot longer and it was kind of that you don't want to be sitting here 10 or 20 years time and looking back and saying what if and so that was kind of that nudge that don't die wondering you got to take that leap of faith. And it was literally for, from that transition in for prof to professional, it was coming, coming back and resigning from my corporate job, literally selling everything I owned uh, in, in Australia. You know, I'd come home from work and take the suit off and it would just go in a pile, which I then sort of donated to um, one of the dress for success charities and yeah, moved across the world with sort of a suitcase and my bike and, so I try and then, I guess I try and use that going forward if I am trying to work out what to do next or where decisions making or even sort of what races or even how you approach a race, trying to have that attitude of, of no regrets, you know, no fear, no regrets. And I think that's probably where that motto, I try and kind of pull that into how I approach and look at life going forward. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, people say, oh, these phrases and these mottos for a, a lot of times is, is a cliche, right? We hear this all the time. It's just a cliche. And I agree, but there's a caveat to that. If you actually apply them to life, they're not cliches. They're yeah. actually extremely powerful if we say, okay, when I have a decision to make in life, remember, don't die wondering. And it sounds like you have implemented that in your life and when you come to i don't want to say a crossroads because it's not always a crossroads but a decision to yeah. go left or to go right to 
keep pedaling at a certain, you know, wattage or, or to keep running at a certain pace or, you know, this really hurts. I'm going to slow down. It's even these decisions during a race or training. It's a case of, okay, your, your cue, you know, to, 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 to name it is don't die wondering. And that means so much to you. And, and I think that is a really powerful thing to take away. So for the listeners at home, if they may not have, spent some time or, or had someone said to, to them, like you did, a, a, an old training buddy, how could people find their own cues for, for life or training to have something to go to when it's tough, just to sort of remind them of who they are and what they are trying to achieve? Yeah. And just to flip back on that, you're right, because I've been challenged with the don't die wondering on several times. Like people have said to me, like you, your motto is this, you're not living by it kind of thing. And, and sometimes in the way I've raced, I'm, like I said, I'm quite risk averse. I'm quite concerned, sometimes can be quite conservative in a race and don't have, maybe this is more on a confidence to push through those levels of, of things. And yet people then challenge and say, you, you know, and, and I've often said, I feel like I'm racing with a handbrake on. Anyway, so yeah, so having things like that, so that don't die wondering or that why of why you're racing. And so going back to sort of how that can help, I think it, it doesn't work for everybody. So there's no point having a motto, a positive affirmation, whatever it is that, like you said, it is just a cliche. You're just ticking a box because you think that's what would work. It's really got to be something meaningful for you. Um, what... And I don't have any specific advice, but I can give an example of what I do before each race, which I think helps me. And you can almost put it before any training session or a job interview, anything you do. So in the days leading up to a race, I, well, one thing I have a, a grid I can show on, obviously the listeners can't see this, but um, you can see this. So this is my little green book. So it's a little, a it's, what is it? Not a five, smaller than a five, but um a little green book and every night and it travels with me and every night I kind of try and write three things I'm grateful for. And often it's not so much that it's often just stuff that I've done that day. And I'm just trying to like take a few minutes to reflect back, but it's, it might even be as simple as I had a really nice coffee, that sort of thing. Leading up into a race, that little book gets a little bit longer as I try and kind of put down the sessions that have gone well, like how I'm feeling, where my confidence is, like trying to get my mindset in a good place into the race. And often what goes in there is it might be some, it might be song, a song that's played. You know, I, I once drove from Sydney to Port Macquarie playing the same song on repeat. This was leading into Ironman Australia. So it's a five hour drive for those who don't know. I was going into Ironman Australia for as the two-time defending champion going into my third race. And this song came on and the lyrics just resonated with me with how I was feeling. And I literally played it on repeat. What <laughs> and was I it? took <laughs> this is gonna be really embarrassing. It was one of it was rewrite the stars from the musical The Greatest Showman. <laughs> right. Nice. And so it was that rewrite that so that the the message I took from that and whether it was what they'd intended or not was like the rewrite, rewrite your story, rewrite your lyrics, tell yourself. I was really low on confidence. I was, my form was good, but it wasn't showing. Um, there was this big head to head battle sort of thing. And I just wanted to be a good race. And it was kind of about rewriting my story. So I took that in. Another example is um, again, Ironman Australia, my very first year I went there, I was uh, just doing a really easy ride, 
um, along one of the, the, the rock, there's a famous um, uh, rock wall basically, which everyone paints rocks. And I just bumped into a complete stranger, just started chatting to him and he had, he was going through a really tough time, um, sort of struggling with jobs. And um, I'm, I'm not even sure if he had a place to live. It was that kind of thing. But he, we just were talking, we were talking about the race and he just showed me these four words on his phone that he lives by. And it was um, be unbreakable, be unbeatable, be unstoppable. And I've now forgotten the third one, but basically it was those four words. And again, that's what I wrote down going into my race. And by chance, the next year I happened to be out riding and saw this guy cross the road in front of me. And it was the same guy. And we spoke again and he still had this four things on his phone. And I said, I've got them really in my phone and all of this. So this is a lot that my, you'll get used to my long elaborate stories. It has to be something that resonates with you. So you can't just find a, you know, um, a phrase a word that people bandish around in on social media or sports stars use unless it really connects with you and whilst I have the don't die wondering kind of theme that I keep trying to connect back to and, and pull myself through life when I make decisions as I head into each race it often changes those words or what me the meaning or whatever it is to get me through a training session will often change but I'll write it down and so that book and the list, and I write down a list um, the night before a race of all like, um, it might be as affirmation, positive affirmations, or it might be training sessions that have gone well. It might be family members, you know, why am I, you know, and, and that's your, you know, your reason why you're doing it. A lot of people race for other people. They're raising money for charity. It's those kind of things that you write down um, and draw back upon when you are in a training session or in a race and it's not going well and you know the other thing is like we choose to do this it you know we choose to do it it's meant to be fun and I try and stress this with the eight some of the age groupers I, I coach and work with is that this is your hobby and you know the fun part of life so don't get overly hung up on it and that is so much easier said than done I appreciate that um but yeah so it's yeah long answer but I think it's just finding what works for you and whether it is a phrase or a person or a thing or it's it's just a trigger that triggers the switch in changes the switch in your mind and is a distraction from the negative thought to the positive yeah look I as as you mentioned your long-winded stories <laughs> I, I I love them because there is so much in there um, that I would love to unpack, but I'm going to pull a couple of things out. Gratitude journal, the amount of science that's coming out, especially in the last five or six years about uh, the positive and powerful effects of having a gratitude journal is just mind blowing. There's so much out there. So although part of your little green book is a, is a gratitude journal, uh, which is great. And, you know, I've recommended that so many times. I think the other side of it is, as you said, it's just a, it's like a cue. It's just a phrase to pull you out of maybe the, you know, making a decision from purely an emotional perspective or making a decision from a purely logical perspective, because I really believe that there needs to be a mix of both when you're making decisions. It might be 99 um, logical, one emotional, or it could be flipped the other way or it bounces between the two. And if you can be conscious about, okay, where do I need to lead a little bit more emotional, a little bit more logical then, and having that adaptability, that's actually really powerful. So I think 
And what I'm hearing is you're, you're writing down all these great things that are happening in life and probably even you write down stuff that doesn't that go great, but maybe with how you can you know, do better. Obviously, from a professional athlete perspective, that is one thing that coaches do and you're a coach yourself and a lot of people do that as well. That's extremely powerful. So I think your little green book is, uh, is probably one of your, and I'm sure you know it, is one of your, your um, go-tos to help you with your performance. Um, so... I love, love that story. Thank you for, for sharing that. I'm just really curious. What key values, what are your key values in life? Oh, key values. Um, so I think integrity and honesty for me is pretty key. Um, like as an athlete, um, in how I race, in how I act, in what I believe in, um, in working with partners, sponsorship, that sort of thing, in what I portray on through my social media and stuff like that. I think probably being, you know, if you you do that whole thing of if, you know, either at your funeral or whatever it is, or if other people are describing you, how would they describe you? And I would like to think that that sort of, I guess integrity, honesty, and loyalty would probably be those those three there. Um, and then also then you've got um, values very much family, family values, slightly different, I guess, um, in some contexts, but, you know, I don't see my family, I don't see family that often. I, I moved away from the UK 2007 and, um, but I guess that's, they're always kind of, there for you at the end of the day and it was one of those things when I moved from when I resigned from the corporate world and moved over to San Francisco and went full-time as a professional and you're like you're not really sure where if you're going to be earning and and if it's going to be if you're going to make it and what's sustainable and I guess that the back four was that well what's the worst that can happen I'll move back home with mum and dad sort of thing and I'll sort my life out again so but and I was in a fortunate position to be able to do that I appreciate not not everyone is so yeah but I think, I mean, you could values conversations can go on forever, but I think I'll, I'll stick with that integrity, honesty, and loyalty. Love it. Love it. Fantastic. One of the key themes that I'm uh, noticing through this series of the Luke Slaydown podcast, and I was very specific with um, the guests that I chose to have on. I wanted a mix of people who have done some really cool things in the endurance world from professional athletes to high profile people doing you know, insane, crazy things and people have won some of the toughest races around the world. And one of the key themes that I'm hearing, whether they've used the word or a version of it or another meaning of it is curiosity. Mm. You know, I think, I think don't, don't die wondering a, a common theme through the middle of that is curiosity. And that's something that it's, you know, one of my values is always be curious. Like it's, you know, whether you call it a value or not, that's something that I think about on every single day is, be curious. And that can be from, you know, don't judge someone, don't be judgmental, but be curious. Why did that person say that? Or why did that person say this? Instead of judging them, like be curious. And that's something that I always tell myself every single day. And it is a common theme through this, this series that, uh, you know, to do these, uh, you know, big challenges to be a professional athlete, to push bodies, you know, physically and mentally is having that curiosity, you know, is, is really a central theme. 
is it something that you ever think of in that way, like curiosity, or is it just uh, you phrase it in a different way? Um, no, I think that's fantastic. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, it, it, for me, it's being um, having a learning mind or an open mind or being a sponge, like being, and there's a few things I've heard recently from listening to some podcasts about, you know, people who say, go to bed at the end of the day, having always learned something new, like learn, try and learn one thing new that day. Um, and I think as well from my corporate job as well and in, in engineering, but then I did sort of performance business improvement. So you're constantly asking the why and you're constantly saying, how can I improve? And I think I love learning about other people, like what are their stories? What makes them tick? A little bit like that, you know, the work you're doing with the podcast, understanding how sport translates to business, business translates to sport. How can you be better? But how does that person operate? And I think, and just curious about the world, how does things work? What's good, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's an, it can get quite overwhelming, um, but I think it's an amazingly powerful mindset to have. And I, I think I probably, yeah, it's, it's that curiosity or it's just that um, a learned mind, or I don't know what the, the phrase is that some people say, but an open mind to, to willing to take on, take on new, new things, new challenges, be open to learn, understand other people. And yeah, I mean, that's, I definitely try and do that in, in my sport. And then as a person and a professional on and off the racetrack is just that. I think if you've got, if you're always curious, there's, it keeps you kind of humble as well. Like it keeps you kind of quite grounded. I think, you know, you, you, you never get to that state that you think you're the best or you're better than others. I think there's always that, how, how can I be better? How can I improve myself physically performance wise an athlete or just as a, as a person? Yeah. Carol Dweck wrote a boat book on the growth mindset and that is a you know, growth talking, mindset. That's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I was, I was, I was guessing that's what it was, but yeah, Carol uh, Dweck, her book uh, must've yeah. come out maybe four or five years ago. I I've read it. I've listened to it. It's a great book. Um, but yeah, it's about the growth mindset that there's nothing fixed. Like it's not about, okay, I've finished. As you said, it's about, okay, if I, if I win the world championship and I do the fastest time ever, and I've never gone that fast before in my life and I felt absolutely amazing and I nailed everything. Could I have got something? Um, could I, could I have done something better? You know, yeah. It's always looking, as you said, trying to learn and, and you touched on something there. It's like, it can be overwhelming if you're like, always try and learn something every day, you know, always try and challenge yourself, always try and grow, always have, try and have a growth mindset. And, it can be overwhelming and I, you know, my hands up, I I've been there and I'm like, far out. I'm supposed to be doing all this stuff and I'm supposed to be challenging myself and choosing to do difficult things and all these sort of things that are what I value. And it's like, like I'm, I'm struggling to breathe here, Yeah. but I, I want to come full circle and come back to your green book. <laughs> it's not necessarily about having a full list of like, I learned 20 new things and I evolved 20 different ways is that if at the end of the day, you can sit down, you know, or, or, or lay in bed with your book, whatever you, however you do it at the end of the day, and you sort of stop. And this is the important thing. You stop and think about your day. You stop and think about the, um, the, 
the people you met and the situations you had and the scenarios that were placed in front of you. And you went, actually, yeah, I did overcome that by doing X, Y, and Z. Actually, I didn't know this about that thing over there. And, and now I do. And you write it down. And it might only be one thing that you learned, but that's progression. Some days you're going to write down a full page and go, this happened and that happened and this fantastic. Other days, it might be just one thing. And it might be just a case of, well, actually, you know what? I learned that, you know, something about coffee that, you know, the difference between washed beans and unwashed beans or the difference between single origin yeah. and a blend. And that's okay. We don't always have to have mind blowing learning experiences. So I think, you know, always trying to learn and always trying to grow and put yourself in difficult situations to enable that growth is a great thing. But for listeners out there who are thinking, yeah, but that's all sounds good. It's really overwhelming that it's okay. If you can just learn one thing on a daily basis, then you're winning. And half the time you don't even register that you have learned something. It's not, and that's the, sometimes I almost think it's the thought process about thinking about learning something. So again, I, I listened to a fantastic conversation, um, Mel Robbins, people I'm sure they've heard of her and she's got this new, a, a new book out at the moment, but it's called The High Five Habit. And yes, and um, I've listened to it a couple of times and I've listened to another podcast as well that she was on and, and it's the same story and I'm actually just reading her book and it's very much that same message just on repeat. But I, and, and the theory is around it is like, give yourself a high five in the morning in the mirror. It's to recognize yourself, recognize the person in front of you to give you, say, I see you, I hear you. Cause often we are so much into just the negative and, and destroying ourselves. Um, and it's, a, anyway, I won't go into it cause I'll butcher what she's trying to say. I physically can't do the high five yet in the mirror because I'm not at that. One, I'm a British cynic <laughs> and it's coming from an American. So that is one thing and I'll hold my hands up to that. Um, but two, I'm not at that place of accepting myself as a person. And that's another, we don't need to go there. But the thing that, and the message I wanted to say here is that just though the thought process of me thinking about what she's saying, and even though I can't physically kind of do the high five in the mirror or what she's saying, I'm thinking about it and I think there's a benefit there. And so going back to what we're saying, it's not necessarily that, yeah, you're capturing these like a zillion learnings and they're all these mind blowing things. Even just the thought of being open-minded, of being curious, I think is a step in the right direction. I think you nailed it hundred percent spot yeah. on there. It's that creating space in your life to stop and think about it, because especially in this day and age, everything is so fast paced everything is always go 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 like literally you have the world at your fingertips on your phone and even when you say okay i'm going to turn my phone off which i i like to do on, on numerous times in the day and different days and whatever and but still there is so many things to catch your attention so actually creating space in your life to stop whether it's like 10 minutes a day like if you stop and just sit in your own thoughts for 10 minutes set an alarm on your phone, put it in a different room so you can hear it or out of arm's, arm's reach and 10 minutes. That's a long time Yeah. to actually stop and think about your thoughts and think about what you achieve, think about what you're trying to achieve and just actually create space to do that. So I think that's a really, really good message. So actually, if you don't actually feel like you've achieved something, actually creating space in your life to stop and think about that, I feel that is progression. That is, that is an opportunity for you to grow. Yeah. So 
If you could tell Laura, the first year pro in 2014, a piece of advice, three pieces of advice from Laura today, who's been racing all around the world for about seven years, has won races, you know, <laughs> won, won five iron distance um, races, plenty of 70.3s, world championships uh, from an amateur perspective. What would that one, two, three, seven pieces of advice um, be to the Laura in 2014 as a first year pro in San Francisco? <laughs> uh, one piece, you know, that's always a horrible question for me. Um, the first word that jumps out is patience. Mm. Like, but that links into so much more. It, it, like it, it's about being patient with the process. So get stuck in, put your head down and work on the process of why you're doing it and why you want to be better and the enjoyment in that and just get and be patient with that like I think don't worry about the result the outcome having to prove yourself having to justify your decision really you know will you make it will you won't make it what do other people think of you and just have a little bit more self-confidence or I had, I think the self-belief was there and the self-confidence, but have the, yeah, just be patient with the process and, and, and really enjoy. And again, it's a cliche and I hate it. Enjoy the journey, but it is. And you realize it more and more as you get older, like enjoy where you're at at the moment that that decision you've made and just throwing yourself headlong into being the best athlete you can be and, and making the most of that. Yeah. Why do you think Laura in 2014 would need to hear that? I think I was, so my, when I, I made the decision and it was about seeing how good I could be and just committing to, you know, I had no, no goals or dreams of like winning. You know, yes. You know, like I didn't, I didn't set out with that. I want to win an Ironman race or an iron distance race. I want to go to the world championships. It was purely a kind of, I just want to see how good I can be if I fully commit to this. Um, but what happened, which is fine. But then when you start, when I made that transition and I moved to San Francisco and, and, and joined a group and a coach there. Um, and it's a very different world suddenly from going, having that corporate job and the sports, your hobby. Whereas at the end of the day, if a training session doesn't go well or a race doesn't go well, you go back to your, your paycheck and your, your corporate desk to now sort of knowing you know, if, if you were going to, you know, were you going to be able to earn any money out of it? And again, that wasn't the reason I did it, but it still is a reality. Like, can you make it sustainable? Um, are you going to not, you know, can you be competitive, I guess, in a race when you're lining up, up against these amazing professional women that you've looked up to for the last few years, the step from age group racing to professional is very different. People don't see it because they just look at times on paper, but actually in reality, it's different. So and I think for me, I was very, I became too um, caught up in like what other people were thinking of me. And really they don't give a shit because they're too embroiled in their own lives anyway. So they don't really care what anyone else is doing. But it was, for me, it was kind of like, oh, she quit her job, moved across the world. Who does she think she is? Does she think she's going to be the best? You know, that sort of thing. And, and also then that justification of having going, gosh, I have just left the corporate world. I sold everything. I don't want to have to move back to my mum and dad sort of thing if it doesn't if it doesn't work out as much as you, as much as I love them. Um, and there is probably too much of pressure and expectation that I put 
on myself at that point and not appreciating what I was doing and the 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 leap and the commitment and and how big a, a difference it was I think probably yeah that's fair and, and it's not as if you took an you know an extreme low-key step into the world of professional <laughs> triathlons because we've, we've mentioned that you moved to San Francisco and there was a very specific reason why you moved to San Francisco and correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure it was to work with Matty Dixon and 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 the and his crew, and he's a very well-respected and well-known and very successful, um, especially iron distance uh, yeah. triathlete coach. So all of a sudden, you're now working with Maddie, and here's, here's this woman who has gone from an age grouper uh, living in the Southern Hemisphere to moving to America, moving to Northern California, working with a high-profile coach. I could only imagine there was a few people sort of going, yeah, like, who did you, who does she think she is? And I think that, you know, my follow-up question is why do you think Laura in 2014 needed to hear that? Your thing of patience sounded like it was definitely something that needed to be installed. So thanks for sharing that story. That's all right. I think, you know, a lot of, there are, there are some, you know, you hear the, the, the phrase overnight success or they've come from nowhere kind of thing. And Yes, I think there are cases of that. Um, I think often overnight success comes because they've spent years and years of hard work in the background that no one's seen. But yeah, I, I think from an athlete, there are some athletes who transition from age group to professional and have success straight away, or they transition from short course to long course and are winning straight away. I think for most of us, it's the long, hard work and the years that you don't see and and the the hours you put it in. I mean, for, for me, the patience bit as well comes because my <laughs> my coach back in Sydney pretty much said to me on various occasions, you're not particularly talented, but you work hard. Um, I'd like to think I have some athletic ability. I'm not saying that's triathlon specific, but I like to think I am. It, I'd have loved to, as a kid, gone through like that talent ID program mm -hmm. and just said, These, this is work. This is your strength, your weaknesses. This is where we think you're physically able. You'd be great in this sport. Like I would have loved to have done that, but but I was too old at the time when it all came in in the UK. Um. So yeah, and then my coach in 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 Sydney sort of said, yeah, you're not you're not particularly the most talented, but you will work hard or harder than others. And so for me, progress is like that slow burn, or or success is that slow burn. And so it was that patience of actually, if you just chip away and tick away at the sessions and and yeah enjoy the day-to-day -day and the process of where you get to Th that will come it might take a little bit longer for you or or whatever and and, and also that you know that, that was getting into the sport a lot later I guess in life you know not coming through as a junior but yeah yeah so let's let's talk about your results and I'm going to lead into a, a question that I that I have for you is you know you did and I've got all your results um, in front of me. So, so, so uh, don't, I haven't like been super stalking you, but I've got everything in, I'm impressed. I'm in front impressed. of me. So you've, you've had four full years as an amateur and then you threw yourself into the pro ranks and you had a, a podium, you had a couple of fourth place finishes, and then you had a couple of podiums in 2015. Um, fast bike split. We, we know you love a bike, a fast bike split. Uh, 2016 uh, seemed to be a pretty decent year for you where you won some races, you had some more second place finishes, some more podiums. As I said, there is a question coming here. Uh, <laughs> and then 
a year that I'm really intrigued about, and I just sort of saw it and said, I've, I've got to ask about this 2017. Now it looks like a almost, and I hate using this, but I'll use it so other people can understand what I mean. It seems like 2017, and I don't know if this means anything to you, but it looks like it was a bit of a breakout year for you. Um, you won some races, finished on the podium, made it to Kona, finished in the top 15 at Kona, the, the world championships. And, you know, you won some halves, you won some full distance races, some fastest bike splits, several of them, bike course record down in New Zealand at uh, Wanaka, beautiful place. Uh, I've been there. It's fantastic. Um, that's another story. Um, but the question is this. Yes, you won some races, but you came second quite a few <laughs> times in 2017. Is this something that you've ever registered? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to pull it back here because I think it was 2016 as well. I was, I was, like you said, when I started, I was getting like fourths and fifths and then it would creep up a little bit. And then I think 2016 mm -hmm. was a fair few second places as well. And then 2017 was a huge amount of second places, annoyingly all to different people. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk about we talk about Wanaka, and I didn't realize you'd been there. I, I I love it. It's one of my favorite places, and I think I've come second at that race four out of four or five. Well, four or five times. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's been close. I've had like a seven second and maybe a thirty second there. I've yeah. never managed to get, take the win. So so there. So yes. Um. And I've come, even this year, I've had two second places. <laughs> Again, well, one was one was by less than a minute. The other one was by a long way. But um, she was on a phenomenal phenomenal day, the winner on that race. But um, yeah, I am very conscious that it's always seconds. I, I, I <laughs> that, would have been... Like, nearly, nearly, but not quite. Like, you're nearly there, and it is kind of good, but... Fuck, if you could just convert it to the win on a few occasions. <laughs> I would have been very surprised if you went, actually, well, now you mention it. Yeah, like I guess I have. Like, I would have been very surprised. So yeah. my, my, my question is this. Like, first of all, it's you know, 2017 was a phenomenal year, I, I think. And no doubt you, you probably celebrated at the end of that year with everything that you achieved. But here's, here's my question. This is your livelihood. And... I know I've got other friends who are professional triathletes in the, in the Ironman world. Uh, it's like the, the difference between first and second is, is quite significant, not only from a, a prize money perspective, but also if you're winning races, then that is a lot. And I use this word very loosely easier to then convince sponsors to up what they're paying you to get on board for another year or renew a contract which is you know the two main ways that uh, triathletes make their living so it's it's a big deal coming second to first it's not just a case of well if you're still finished on the podium that's great but you know there are other implications because this is what you're doing for a living so my question is this uh during you know even 2016 there's a bunch of seconds and a bunch of thirds but specifically 2017 you finished second quite a lot so the that night or the next day what's that initial conversation like with yourself when you when you come in second and it's happened again so I think yeah so you I mean I tend to tear myself apart after a race anyway and even like whatever the result it's kind of like 
that was never good enough fit or you didn't do this or you should have done better. And it's even, frustrating. Sorry to Go cut on. in there. Even, even when you win, you do that? To some extent, yes. Like not so much because you just have the feeling of winning a race or and maybe it's because I haven't, yes, I've won five or so long distance races, but I'm not, like I said, I come second a lot. So I haven't had that, like it's not written, it's not the foregone conclusion that I'm winning. And so actually when you do win, it perhaps means a lot more. And I'm, you know, and normally there's, there's I'm quite an emotional winner, I guess, from that respect. So, but having said that, I normally always find an excuse as to why I won. So yes, oh, but so-and-so didn't perform or they were on a bad day or they weren't there at the race. So there is an element of that as well. Um, I'm trying to learn as I get older to appreciate the successes more and to even sort of this year, I came second at, second at Challenge Roth um, and by a long way, like we the, the winner, Annie Howe, who is the current or it was existing world champion over the full distance, she just had a mind-blowing career day and she won by like half an hour over the rest of us, which then there were some, uh, Sarah Crowley in there, she's finished on the podium several times in Kona and, and stuff like that. And yes, we're all at different places this year. So, um, but for me that the performance in Roth this year and coming where I'd come from the previous couple of months, like I ran my fastest ever marathon. I broke three hours. I ran through the field and I came second. And so I've tried to hold on to that a little bit more before I've then torn it apart. And the same with my race just recently in, in Daytona, um, which was a fifth place. So not a second, but I would have preferred third over fifth. But anyway, um, if it wasn't going to be second again, sort of trying to take some of the positives of that performance before you completely tear it apart. But yeah, with those, with the second places and particularly on like the Wanaka races where it would happen at a year and a year. And if it's a bit, it would be that, Oh, for F sake again, it's second kind of thing. When am I going to be able to win or why can't I close it out? Why can't I close that race out? And is it a confidence thing that I go into the race? Don't not believing I'm going to do well. And so actually coming second is sort of, good for me on the day and then after the race I was like but if you'd believed beforehand maybe it could have been different like maybe you could have been at the front of the race um and then a lot of it is yeah just trying to work out that again if it's to different people or, or like I said sometimes did I race with the handbrake on and did I really commit to things did I really challenge and but I think it most of it is that for me it's like did you really believe you could win um and we against the people you're up against. So yeah, there's those, I think after those second places, I mean, a lot of the time, yeah, you, you're grateful again, it's a podium, it's another result, but again, and it's interesting, it does, it does add up when you look back across it. And then when you are like my, my resume might be um, pretty good from a podium perspective of races, but when you're talking to brands and sponsors, you know, I can say, yeah, I'm probably the athlete with the most second places out there kind of thing, but that doesn't really sell it when they're going, yeah, but this athlete's got a few more wins than you kind of thing, but they might, but they might only, they might've only raced, you know, a handful of races, but they get the win. Whereas I've always been someone that's raced a lot. And again, that's, that's a whole nother story of whether that's right or wrong, maybe, but I've got, I generally get podiums, but it's that 
can I just convert it? And, and there's a whole lot that goes, yeah, goes in and behind that. But I, I think a lot of it is normally down to, you probably didn't believe enough before you started the race. You probably sort of talked yourself down against the other competitors. And then when you came into that, even though there is like an inner self-belief, but just that overriding imposter syndrome. And then when you came to the race and you were in that position, and yes, you're, you're, you're still fighting and you're still driving, but had you given yourself the opportunity before the race? How do you think you can start to change that conversation before race day? Yeah. Um, so I, one, I do think like one area that I've, I've kind of gone in and out is, is like working with a, a sports psychologist or, or someone again, I think probably me growing up, it was, they were always the taboo. And I know that's not the case now. It's very different. And most of the people that you see successful in sport and business work with, whether you call them a psychologist or a sports psychologist or mentor or whoever, I think people do work with them, but, um, and that's all walks of life. But I think it's still, I still probably have a bit of a, from just growing up and traditions of it still being, so I struggle with that. Um, but I think that's one area. And I think it's also having the right coach around you and working with the coach. A lot of it is then your perception on like, and again, I guess it goes back to that, that the gratitude book or the lists that I write up before a race is like just reflecting on those sessions that have gone well and where your confidence is. And, and even the sessions that haven't gone or you didn't feel well, but you still performed sort of thing and, and just building up and then switching the focus of the race to like, just go out and have fun. Like you have nothing to lose, like go and enjoy it um, and see what happens. Um, you know, I, th I think like that going into the race in Roth um, again, <laughs> there was no chance I was winning that race. So let's not put, I didn't, <laughs> she was so far ahead from all of us, but I think we'd put some different goals in that race. And we're like, we were saying, you know, try and set your run set the race up so that you can see if you can crack this three hours of the, the run and so and enjoy being back on the race course enjoy being back in Roth it's one of your favorite races with everything that's gone on in the last few years just enjoy being back out there and try and try and enjoy the day and have fun on the day because for the full distance races we're talking you know we're talking nine hours if you're not having fun out there it's fucking miserable day like it's a long it's a long time when you're having you know it's a long time when it's going well and everything's going right and you're enjoying it but it's even longer if you started the race with your head you know up your ass thinking you know feeling sorry for yourself so it's kind of that flipping it to go just enjoy being out there try and be present try and enjoy just being on the course riding your bike set yourself up to give yourself the best opportunity to see if you can run this, this three hours. And that, and that for me, that worked that day. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's definitely a work in progress in the areas that I need to, to work on. And I think probably trying to break down my barriers to work with a sports psychologist is probably going to be the next, the next thing. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that you are trying your hardest in terms of where you're at right now in life as you yep. as an individual to progress, but there's almost like this invisible thing that's holding you back. And you're like, I want to do it, but I'm being pulled back. I'm trying, it's, but I'm being pulled it's, back. It's funny. Cause like, uh, you know, I, 
I love having these conversations. I'm, and I said, integrity, honesty, I'm pretty open on my social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm happy to talk about all sorts of things, but when you put me in front of a, and again, a a sports psychologist or, or whoever in that realm, and they start asking questions about myself, I just shut down and I just put this wall up and I can't talk and I can't say anything and I don't know what it is. And so I'm sure there's people listening and they're going, oh my God, this is like, this means this, that, and the other. Uh, it also means she's a head case probably, but um, yeah, and that's where I get to. And so it's just finding the right person that allows me to open up in that environment to then access things to take the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also right now want to congratulate you on being honest and open and speaking about that because I've met a lot of professional athletes throughout my life from different sports. And there's a lot that have confided in me that would never say that on a podcast is going to be put on the internet. (laughs) They'll just be like, no, I would, I would never say that. Like, yeah, like I really struggle with talking about my feelings or talking about who I am as a person or what I want to achieve as a person outside of my sport. But I would never talk about that outside of, you know, a handful of close people. So I want to say thank you for being open and honest. and, And I do hope that you, you find that person that you really feel comfortable with and, able to be extremely vulnerable to as my my sort of saying goes take seven steps back to then take 10 forward Um, because I think the whole concept of taking one step back to two forward is completely flawed because when in life is it you just take one little step back to go (laughs) two forward (laughs) I'm trying to trying to remember that with my swimming at the moment I'm trying to go like you've broken it down it's fine you're going backwards it's gonna it's gonna go forward in a minute (laughs) yeah yeah. just need to create one of those downhill swimming pools right (laughs) that's the one that downhill oh my god that'd be amazing (laughs) so it's I like I'm one of those people who Yes, I've got my own personal story and journey of what I've been through with my mental health and all the rest of it. But people who follow me and have seen my documentaries and read my book and and followed me online with all the crazy stuff that I get up to um, have always asked me, like, how do you do it? And from a mental perspective, from a mental strength perspective, from mindset, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people do know this, but some people don't is I actually, without knowing, right, started speaking and working with a sports psychologist at 14 15 years of age 14 years of age and started to meditate and do mindfulness practices and you know relaxation practices at 14 years of age at an elite level for football soccer in australia and as you can appreciate aussies love you know especially in the 90s and 2000s you probably saw it when you were out there it's like sports 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 mad sports crazy you don't even have to be a professional at the top level to you know have a coach have a trainer all this sort of stuff and the facilities are great as well so as a 14 15 year old kid i'm i've been exposed to you know when we're away for training camps every morning having 20 minutes 30 minutes with a sports psychologist to talk about mm-hmm. how i'm going how i was training how's this how's the dynamics in the team at training camp and all these sort of things and every afternoon we're doing meditation and mindfulness practices and i would say out of the you know 20 kids in the squad we're talking 14 15 year old boys here right <laughs> as well okay away from their family <laughs> in dorm rooms at training camp they're all like laughing and and kicking and punching one another and there's only me and another guy, um, Andrew, 
we got into it. We loved it. We thought this is cool. Like I dig this and I've continued to do that. So to go full circle to what I was saying is people ask me, how am I able to overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks and do all these crazy big challenges? It's like, well, I train my mind every day and I've been working with professionals and I've been training my mind for what I'm 38 now. So for 20, you know, 24 years. So it's just something that comes natural to me. It's just something that I do. It's part of like, okay, you want to get stronger, you lift weights. You want to get faster, then you you run faster, you cycle faster. You know, you want to know how to improve, you hire a coach. So these are all things that we know. But for me, it's just I want to be able to overcome obstacles in all aspects of life. I've got to train my mind on a daily basis as well because that's what's going to limit me. So you can appreciate that living in Australia, what it would have been like. Oh God, I'm I'm massively impressed because like, yeah, going back a few years to 14 and 15 year old boys on a soccer pitch, like going, well, one, I'm impressed that the, 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 the camps put that in place and gave you those activities. I mean, that's kind of, but then Australia was always leading the way in sports and the AIS that it had back then. Um, but I'm super impressed. I think it, you know, at the end, the mind is just another muscle. And I think we don't appreciate that you can train it, you can exercise it as much as we, you know, everyone just thinks training exercise is, is the, you know, the physical activity and the muscles. And, and I think this, this is where I'm, you know, I think it goes into the corporate world as well and having to be the best version of yourself in the corporate world is a lot of that actually is more about your mind and you like having that capacity to make the decisions and to do stuff and, taking the rest and the recovering the sleep when you need to, even in the, the nine to five, well, I'm saying nine to five, I'm taking that as a, a sweeping statement, but in the corporate world to allow you the next day to deliver the best version of yourself and to do the job to your best ability. I think, you know, this, I, I, I remember when I was like in the corporate, you know, I'd survive on four or five hours sleep at the most a night. And yeah, I thought that was completely achievable. I thought I was kind of one of these lucky people that didn't need any sleep and I was training and I was doing this and still achieving. But I think, and, and you know, just being like, I don't need sleep. I can work or, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd train in the morning. I'd go to my job, come home, train, and then I'd open the laptop and work to whatever hours, because I guess just again, that sort of generation of being brought up like that but the more we take from sport in terms of almost like interval training rest and recovery and like you said take even just taking 10 minutes out of your day to sit be present calm your thoughts get things straight straight and the training the mind that you can do is so powerful in all walks of life for everything you're doing not just as an as, as an athlete and and that doesn't need to be a professional athlete, but that's whether you're doing adventures. It's whether you're working in, in your local cafe, your shop, or if you're in a big corporate executive and you're making senior decisions, it's, it doesn't really matter. It transposes across everything. And I think it's such an untapped um, skill, key benefit. She says, having still not been able to actually do a high five or go and talk to a sports psychologist <laughs> but I see the potential I just I'm not quite I see the potential I want to get there I'm just not not quite that yet but yeah and you're I, right it's so I, true I appreciate that and not everyone is because it it is tough to stop and actually have the conversations out loud that you're having with yourself 
And, yeah. and one of the things that, and you know, this is, this is not me coming up with this is I've heard this from numerous people I have no idea where it started, probably, probably back, back, back in the day somewhere in the East, I'm probably going to guess is that when we have those negative conversations in our head with ourselves and the, and, and how we speak to ourselves in those really negative times, would we, and this is a rhetorical question, but we can talk about this. Would we ever say those things to another human being like that we're yes. saying to ourselves i'm so gonna, true I, I know the way that i talk to myself when i am being negative on the very very odd occasion and don't get me wrong i do say negative things to myself internally i'm um, very very rarely do i say anything negative to myself out loud because there's been a bunch of studies that have shown it um, we absorb negativity four to seven times more easily than positivity so yep. if you say something negative about yourself, the science says, and I'm using quotes here, the science says that you will need to then say, we absorb it four to seven times more easily than something positive. So we'd have to say four positive things to one negative thing to be huh. even. Um, I know, I know, for instance, if I say, oh, Luke, you're so slow on the bike today, you're crap, you're not fast at all. That doesn't follow up with four positive things. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So yeah. when, when I do say negative things internally, I normally catch myself, but when it's really tough, where it's a really tough day or I'm out in the middle of doing a crazy big adventure and, and I do sort of let it slip and say something negative internally, nine times out of 10, I would never in my entire life say that thing to another human being, but we think it's okay to say it to ourselves. It, oh, it's so like we are everyone else's best hype man. Um, and again, like um, Mel Robbins says, he's like, you know, you get up in the morning and if someone else came into your bathroom or you, you meet someone first thing in the office and they're, they've had a crappy morning, this is, this is going wrong. You would do everything. You'd know exactly how to get them up. You'd, you know, you'd be boosting them. You'd be like trying to, you'd be saying everything to give them that bit boost again. But we never do that for ourselves. We always are just like, would, if that happened, we just tear ourselves down. And so, yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like we would, we happily and almost like subconsciously promote support, boost everyone else. And yet, yeah, never give our own selves the opportunity to do that. Um, and I, 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 that's, in, it's fascinating that um, I knew there was some research around, you know, that we absorb negativity more than positivity. I didn't know sort of that four to seven ratio and also i think there is that difference when you say it out loud mm -hmm. to having it internally it's a little bit like you know setting goals if you say it out loud or you write it down it's kind of more concrete that you're going to follow through with it rather than just keeping it inside so i completely kind of resonate with it yeah when you say something negative outside it's even more it's even harder to then rein it back in and turn it around yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the key is when we say negative, when we say negative things out loud, that's when we absorb it, you know, that four to seven times more. Yeah. And a lot of people will sort of say, oh, well, you know, like I didn't really mean it, but then it becomes a habit and you say it all the time. But then if we can actually consciously catch ourselves, right. And this is, this is the powerful thing about self-talk. If we can consciously catch ourselves saying these negative things, then over time we, they'll become less and we'll stop saying yeah. them. So then if we stop saying these negative things, then that gives us a chance to flip that self-belief script 
to let that self-belief turn into self-awareness. And when that self-awareness is around, then we can build confidence. And this is a whole nother conversation of building up to confidence. But then when we have that confidence, not just as an athlete doing the sport that we do, whether you're a professional or you just go and do a 5K park run every week and that's your thing, that is awesome. But also, as, as you've mentioned before, is whether it's in the corporate world or whether you're making a coffee at the local coffee shop or, or mopping floors at, you know, at an office or whatever it is, is if we can live with a smile on our face, with a smile in our heart, without saying cheesy from the inside out, we're going to live, doesn't matter what you're doing. If we can have more positive thoughts and say more positive things to ourselves and to others, then life is going to be so much more gratifying, but it takes being able to stop and catch yourself and say, no, I don't believe this. It takes actually practicing uh, different principles and procedures and exercises on a daily basis to help you catching yourself, to help you stop saying those negative things. And a lot of the time it takes a lot of hard work. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't quite <laughs> willing to do that. Because we want instant results. It's like that instant society, you know, it, go back, you know, when people ask you, you know, how do you do that? It's like, I've been doing this for, four, you know, for 14, 15 years. I was doing it since I was 14. And so it's that I mean, and again, there's loads of evidence about habit, but it's that just you've been doing it routinely. And I, and again, I, I think in today's society, we are so used to kind of instant gratification or instant with social media and with everything and with time just moving so fast, we want results straight away that it's really hard to take that step back and go, actually, this is going to take time, but I need to invest in this. And it, you know, it, it's almost like it, I may get so far and it breaks down and I then stop doing whatever it is. And you've got to sort of reset and start again. Well, it's, it's not really starting again. You've still taken, again, it's a few steps back, but you've still taken a step forward. And it's just, again, having that patience as well to keep committing to it, knowing that it will be better and it may take time. But of, when you get there, I think the benefit will be bigger than like just you wanting that instant instant result 100 percent. yeah the athletes that i work with i work with a lot of marathon runners and, and ultra marathon runners and one of the big things that i work with is mental strength training because i've been doing it for a long time i've been fascinated with psychology been done 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 a bunch of other courses with that and and i always say to them so like, look you know you, we're not going to be able to get you fit enough to run that 100 mile race that you want to do in nine months time in nine weeks you know, we need to build off what you've already done and then spend nine months focusing to do that hundred mile race or to do that hundred K or to do that first marathon. And it's the same with the mental training perspective is I'm going to provide you with tools and provide you with feedback that is going to take time for you to implement into your daily uh, training regime, into your daily life. And you're not going to see the results immediately. Sometimes you will, some people will, but it's over time where it's compounding. And then all of a sudden on race day, when you drop, you know, some gels or you drop some food or you miss an aid station, you don't have any water or whatever, you don't freak out about it. And, you know, it's, it's water off a duck's back, so to speak. And that is going to help you so much more, but it takes time to get to that place. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So I want to round up today's chat because I could talk to you for a long time. Yeah, I know. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Talking about playing a sort of the long game and being patient with your training, things like that is uh, last year, I, um, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but last year, 2020, you changed coaches, which 
for was that right yes 2020 uh and yeah i mean very end of 2019 so yeah pretty much okay and for a professional athlete in a and i'm using air quotes here individual sport that's a massive thing right yeah so you teamed up with the legend that is julie divins uh everyone in the triathlon world would know exactly who that is she's awesome (laughs) so how did you come to the decision that you that you needed a change yeah um like I had a great time with Matt and that was definitely the move that I needed when I first became professional um and we had some a great number of years and he definitely took me from sort of that amateur to professional level I will also mention um a guy that Matt worked with called Paul Buick who's a Kiwi guy um lot of time and respect for him and that's I ended up actually spending a lot of time in New Zealand and in, in normal years before before pandemic um I would spend six months in New Zealand over summer and then six months in Europe um working with um, specifically because Paul was there um but I think I just got to that stage so it's probably been simmering for like maybe a year 18 months that it just wasn't quite as it wasn't quite working as well as it had done, or I, maybe it was just that, you know, I'd, I'd got to, we'd got so far, which was fantastic. Um, but then it was time for something different, but I, I struggled to make that leap, um, for a long time because one, again, slightly older in, in, in age, slightly, or I guess for, I, I still felt very new in the sport from having started it so late, but from an age perspective, I was late on and it, you kind of go through those, and because again, not the natural talent, everything takes work. Um, do I want to make a change now at this point in my career? Is it going to take me several years to get back if I change to a new coach? You know, or should I just see things out? And or what are the other things? Is it me? What are the other things that are going on? Um, and so it took a long time. The other thing I realized I was wanting in a coach was because I I do. Trav- I, I liked, I think you called me global globe trotter. I tend to be nomad is how I describe it <laughs> in the intro. But um, yeah, because I moved around a lot, I, I, I train a lot on my own. My coach is overseas. And so I was kind of wanting to look for somebody who, again, sort of had a, a, a group um, that I could train with. I was hoping to be more face-to-face with a coach. And there just wasn't anyone around that fitted that. I was you know, I was prepared to move places to a certain extent. Um, I'd been a little bit scarred by being in San Francisco and, and didn't really want to go back to America. So that kind of limited again, then who you were looking as at for coaches. But um, I just got to that point where I was mutual agreement with Matt that would kind of run its course. I, I think, and in all credit to Matt, his he's doing a fantastic job with the the corporate coaching in again in sport and in life um and I have a lot of respect for that but I I just think for where I was as an athlete and in in my career it was time to go away so very amicable um and Julie I'd obviously been aware of she's coached some amazing athletes um she had a squad which I was interested in it was in America again which was the sticking point um and but I just she amazingly gave me that gave me the time in Kona in 2019 when she was there with 
amazing athletes about to do amazing things. And yet she spent, you know, half an hour taking the time to talk to me. Um, I, she scares me to death as well as like have a lot of time because she's got a very dry, sarcastic British sense of humor. Um, she's still badass on the bike, um, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it just, from everything that happened, it just seemed the right thing to do. Um, again, I stalled a little bit in, in fully committing to her and to that. I think again, the, the, the being in Boulder and or being in the States, I should say, was like a, a sticking point. But then, um, and she was very patient with me, which, you know, she was having coaching requests and demands from a lot of athletes, I think, at the time. And so she basically came back to me and gave me an ultimatum, sort of saying, look, because I, I kept sort of prolonging, so I need to go back to New Zealand, I need to get settled, I need to work out what I'm doing. And she almost sort of gave me that ultimatum of going, I don't have many spaces left if you come back to me in two weeks or whatever and those spaces are gone, they're gone sort of thing. So yeah, I committed and jumped and I can only say I should have done it like two years ago. Um, and again, that's not, no disrespect to Matt. We, we did great things and I do not regret the time, but I think I'd been kind of a little bit unhappy or unsettled for a couple of years. And so the past the past year even though or the past two years even though it's been through a pandemic and then I've I've been injured which I, I've been fortunate to not be injured for the rest of my life until that sort of the last bit and that wasn't anything to do with Julie's coaching I will have to say that that was beforehand um yeah I I, I kind of wish I'd, I'd moved over to her over to her sooner she's just a amazing person and human and coach and you know I've just spent the last two and a half months out in Boulder in Colorado with the squad, which was fantastic. Just again, having, having people to having guys to train with in the pool and ride. And yeah, you still do a lot of training on your own and that's fine, but just having a little bit more face-to-face -face contact with, with dibs has been great and definitely, yeah, definitely pleased, pleased. I made the mood. I, I don't think I'd have got through lockdowns and injuries last year if it hadn't been for her and that was at the very start of a relationship kind of thing um you know we hadn't had much time together it was all sort of yeah over over phone and, and email and stuff um but yeah she's she's awesome and I'm pretty like from the now I've had this year of at least consistent training and I've had the races and yes I can pull the races apart and destroy them as we do but I've seen glimmers in there of what I can still do which is really exciting when you are older and people think you should be retired and yet I'm like I'm still getting faster I'm still getting stronger I know I can still do more can I still be competitive well it, that's a different question if the sport keep you know because the sport might move on at a faster pace than I can move on but for me whilst I'm still improving and I can still see improvements and I'm excited about what we can do together again next year that's kind of what what keeps you going at the moment fantastic so final question 2022 <laughs> what are you and i don't necessarily mean results or anything like that but what are you looking to uh, achieve personally in 2022 i haven't actually sat down and this was my job for the plane journey coming home to the uk and i fell asleep um <laughs> so uh yeah i mean Okay, so from an athletic performance and stuff, we've made some 
progress with my swim is the weakest of the three disciplines. I had a great swim for me in Daytona. I'm hoping that kind of is a glimpse of things to come. So from a performance perspective, I've loved to see my swim keep tracking. Um, the running's been going, Touchwood has been going really well. So I'm quite excited to see what, what that does. I, I've always classed myself as a long distance athlete. I'd love to do a half distance and have a really fast run off the bike, which I think we can do. Um, time and place, obviously, loads of things committing. Um, the bike's been left a little bit at the moment. So I'd love, and, and you know, you said it, the bike used to probably be the strength. So it'd be nice to get, to get that back up there. And so from that respect, I can still see there's room for improvement in all three going into next year. And so I would like to show that in, in the training and the races. And yeah, if that results in, in wins, that's great. But I think it's probably more these days still kind of showing that you're improving and being competitive and um, yeah, the standard is so high and to get a win in or to get on the podium in any race is harder and harder. Um, but if I can still, be putting down improvements in performances then i think for 2022 that will be that will be good love it love it great way to finish and the way i interpret what you just said right at the end there was if i can continue to keep putting in in good performances getting better then it's going to be a good 2022 and i one thing that i heard on a podcast many years ago was we are all high performers right we are all high performers if you compare yourself with someone else then that's completely different. If you compare yourself to who you are from yesterday to last year to 10 years ago or even five minutes ago, if you're getting better, then you're a high performer. You're a high achiever. So I think I'm excited for you in 2022 to hopefully, you know, spend some time with the squad, do your own thing as you like to do, but also to challenge yourself personally to be the best version of yourself to use a cliche but i also know that you will challenge yourself to do that and hopefully the results uh, will come uh, swimming cycling and running from all the hard work you are doing um, with training as well so sid i want to say a massive thanks for coming on the luke's lowdown podcast where can people find you connect with you and come and say hi virtually um yeah instagram is probably where i'm most active so at lmsid um also on twitter lmsidall facebook i've got an athlete page which i think you can just find laura siddall professional triathlete something highly highly uh hard like that and then obviously a facebook page but yeah like i mean i love connecting with people so anyone feel free reach out i think email you know, i've got a website um which needs a bit of updating but email address or messenger or contact me on Instagram hopefully if you know we're a little bit back to normal with normal face-to-face -face and day-to-day -day races if people are at race please come up and say hello I love meeting everybody uh, and saying hi so and I hope that we get to meet in a uh, in person as well either at one of your crazy endurance events or or at a race or even just yeah go for a coffee or a drink or something <laughs> fantastic thanks very much Laura no thanks so much for having me on the on the podcast I, I've really enjoyed it today